And uh, if you remember, we opened up Matthew 23 last week and we said that this is the beginning of the fifth block of teachings that Matthew has kind of set up these five blocks of the teachings of Jesus to um, almost emulate to kind of look like um, the five books of Moses. Because, as we said, Matthew is writing primarily to a Jewish audience to say, this is the guy you've been looking for the Messiah. Guess what? Here he is. Um, And he is Moses, but so much more. And so he sets up all of this stuff. This begins the last big block of teaching of uh, the teachings of Jesus before the crucifixion. Um, He started last week um, with uh, this, the talk about the Pharisees, if you remember, but he was speaking to the disciples. He's turning to those disciples and he's like, Hey, look, here's something. They, they look like they're big, strong religious people, but they're not just because you have a big box on your head or big, long tassels coming out of your robe. Who cares? It's about more than that. But now at verse 13, he turns to the Pharisees themselves. And I just, I don't know if you're like me. I like to picture Jesus in these moments. And I just like to get this visual image of what's happening. And there's a lot of times I think there's things that are funny in there that we miss because we don't see really what's happening. This isn't one of those times. This is one of those times where the disciples went, oh, man. Because like Jesus is looking at the disciples talking and he goes, (laughs) here we go. And listen to what he says. Not that y'all are the Pharisees, because y'all were much louder in worship and better today than they were. Way to go. Sorry, I was over here and they were awesome. Not because it was me. How terrible. It will be for you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites. For you won't let others enter the kingdom of heaven and you won't go in yourselves. Yes. How terrible it will be for you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees. For you cross land and sea to make one convert. And then you turn him into twice the son of hell as you yourself are. Blind guides. How terrible it will be for you. For you say that it means nothing to swear by God's temple. You can break that oath. But then you say that it is binding to swear by the gold in the temple. Blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? And you say that to take an oath by the altar can be broken. But to swear by the gifts on the altar is binding. How blind for which is greater the gift on the altar or the altar that makes the gift sacred. When you swear by the altar, you're swearing by it and by everything on it. And when you swear by the temple, you are swearing by it and by God who lives in it. And when you swear by heaven, you are swearing by the throne of God and by God who sits on the throne. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Bam, right? I mean, he's talking to the disciples and he's pretty angry, but then he turns to the Pharisees. He's like, here we go. And we think that the only time that Jesus really gets angry is when? When's the normal time when say, oh, Jesus got angry is when? Temple and the money changers. Right? When he goes in, it's the money changers, everything's going on. He's like, those tables over. Not in my dad's house, right? But right here, whoo. Man, he is unpleasant, to say the least, with the Pharisees. And what's going on here? A couple of words that you need to hear before we move on. When it says, um, how terrible it will be for you, in my translation, the NLT, some of you may have something like, woe to you, in yours. 
Uh, that is consistently seen throughout this chapter 23 because he doesn't just stop there with his like attack on the fair. He continues on for a few paragraphs. Every time he begins, woe to you, how terrible it will be for you. The Greek word that they're translating there is awe, O-U-A-I. And what that means is it's a twofold meaning, wrath and sorrow. Like there's this just full wrath, anger coming out, but there's also this, this sense of sorrow. Because, uh, I mean, let's be honest, Jesus is angry, but he's also very sad. He's sad that some of the children of God have turned and gotten it so completely wrong and are bringing others with them. So there's a sense of just this wrath and sorrow going on. The other word that is used throughout this is um, hypocrites. This one um, is, I think, kind of most everyone knows. The original Greek meant um, one who answers uh, was what the original Greek meant. It then shortly became um, synonymous with an actor, uh, a Greek actor, one who answers dialogue, it became a a hypocrite. And then it became um, kind of this negative connotation uh, in which he uses it here. Um, one who acts one way, uh, but isn't really that way, right? You know, you, you say one thing, but you do something completely different. One of the biggest criticisms about the church today are the people of the church. And the label that we get is hypocrites. Um, thank you, Alex. I agree with you. I think we're awesome. Um, and, and so, and then the last word that isn't in here, but it's something that is kind of, you need to hear that it is there. Um, is the Greek word uh, prosilutos. And prosilutos is um, the, the Greek word for proselyte. Um, you know, the, a proselyte was someone who was to be drawn near, is what it means, to draw near. It was somebody who was a convert, essentially. It was a convert. So here we go. In verse 16 through 22, when he's talking about this oath stuff, He is uh, very angry talking about these blind guides and these oaths and things. Now, to give an oath as a Jew back in that time was a big deal. Giving an oath was a very heavy, big promise. If you brought God into the oath, made it that much bigger, right? Because if you broke the oath in which you, uh, you know, invoked the God clause, if you will, if you brought God into your oath and you break that oath, you know, uh, not only break it against the person that you make the oath with, You also break it with God. So it makes it just this huge deal. Very serious. You make a promise in the name of the Lord. God's like, all right, we're serious about this. You want to go that far? Let's go that far. But it's serious. The Pharisees, being who they were, were all about the minutest detail. They were all about the thousands and thousands of interpretations of the law. And so what they were doing is they were like creating these ways in which you could make an oath that seems that it's by God. And yet there's kind of a back doorway out of it. They were setting up this almost um, religious experience of deception. That you go into this religious experience and this talk about God and yet there's really just no meat behind it. It was this sense of um, deception. The church, as they were creating it, was a church of deception, not of truth, out of honesty, out of love. 
And Jesus comes in. It's like, what? We want to bring God into stuff good, because we should. He is here. He is everywhere. As we said, he is everything. There's no back door out of that. We're not going to bring people in over here and go, look over here, and at the same time be reaching around them to do something else. That's not the way I operate. He's not too happy about that. They set up this religion of lies almost, based on a strong, solid truth, but yet taken to far extremes. And then you go back to the top when he opens with his biting argument against them or criticizing to them. And he, and he talks about the fact that they travel over land and sea to make one convert. This is where the proselyte comes in. Now, see, what's happening here is um, there is a lot of anti-Semitism going on during this period. The Jews have, uh, they've been this, uh, this community, this, this country, this body of people that have been kicked out of their homeland and brought back in. And kicked out of their homeland and brought back in. They don't like other people. Right? I mean, they've had this experience that other people don't like them. So, oh, we're not going to play with you either. We're better than you. And so they created this kind of social system in which they did not operate with others. They didn't play play nicely with others. Right? Is essentially what happened. So the others, the Gentiles of the world, were like, then we're not going to play with you either. And there was more Gentiles. And so they were resented. And there was a lot of segregation going on. And there was a lot of hatred going on. There was a lot of criticism of the Jews' beliefs about um, pigs. Can't eat pigs. There's the, the, you, know, you can't eat pigs. Just plain and simple. God told us that. Why? It's God. You know, we, we follow these laws of God. And so there was mockery that went along with that. And there was a belief that they actually worshipped a God that was a pig. The pig God was the God of the Jews. And there was a, you know, a lot of mockery that went on. About that. So there's a lot of resentment towards the Jewish people. At the same time, there was a big group of Gentiles that were drawn to the Jews. That were, that were drawn to the sense that uh, here is a body of people that has been through so much, and yet their belief in one God is so strong that they're willing to continue to suffer persecution and not bow down to someone else. Huh. There's something bigger here. There's something greater here. There's this longing to be under the care of one God. When you live in a world with hundreds of gods and you walk into an area and you're like, wait, is this area dedicated to Didymus or to Artemis? Which God are we worshiping here? You know, I I forget, you know, wait, there's a statue over there. Oh man, the statue, there's a lot of, that's Didymus. I get it. Okay. I know what to do now. You know, you walk into these different places and there's so many gods that it's so confusing. Who is who? That the allure of one God is kind of like, hey, I kind of dig this. And so there were a lot of Gentiles that would come and sit in the synagogues. They would sit outside the synagogues and hear the teaching that was coming from the rabbis. They would want to know more about this God. The proselytes. These people who knew that the moral integrity of the Jewish people and their God was something that they needed. That the sense of of bowing down to many gods was a farce 
And that that maybe there was just one God. And so there were these people that would come. Remember, why was Jesus, why was one of the primary reasons Jesus was so mad in the temple? Where was it? It was a specific area in the temple that was the only place where Gentiles could come. And the Jews had blocked it out and created such a ruckus that it was preventing people who couldn't go further in the temple access to worship in God. And he got mad. He started kicking people out. There is this drawing towards God. This sense of coming back to the Father. In the book of Acts, there's a story of Paul And he has this great moment of conversion where all of these people, and I think they call them the the great Gentiles, conversion of the Gentiles of Thessalonica or something like that. But it was these people, these people who would come and listen to the rabbis. They came and would listen to Paul teach and hear about Christ and hear about the love of God. And they come to know Jesus. And what the Pharisees were doing is they were zeroing in on these people. Some of these people would come in and they would accept and they would uh, become believers in the Jewish way at this time. What we're talking about, not Paul's time, but at this time, they would become believers in the Jewish way. But they would take it as a moral thing and they would worship God, but they wouldn't go all the way to being a Jew for a guy that meant circumcision. The Pharisees were more interested in pulling those ones out that were ready to go the whole nine yards to go the distance, you know. To go all in. They were the ones who the Pharisees were looking to. And what William Barclay says, he says something to the effect of these converts became the most perverted ones. And by that, he meant that they were so in that they followed the Jewish laws more closely than even the Jews did. They became these crazy, following every, the minutest detail of the Pharisees. They were the ones who were in other Jews' face. They were the ones who became more pharisaical than even the Pharisees. In other words, what the Pharisees were doing were converting people to Phariseeism rather than to a love of God. They were making people be like them rather than be like God. It was more important for the Pharisee movement to continue than it was to open people's minds and hearts to the love of God. It was about religion and order and rules and regulations and piety. And this is the way you do it. And I think that's why Jesus gets so angry. It says you cross land and sea to get one convert. And what you do is you make him crazy in pharisaical ways. And so he's more of a son of hell than you are. What a biting, biting condemnation there. The thing is, 2,000 plus years later, we haven't changed much in the church. The Indian Christian um, Primanad said something to the effect, I'm really bad at quotes, I'm sorry, but he said something to the, I should write these down, that'd be more powerful, that I am a Christian as I speak, that God is my father, the church is my mother, 
Jesus is my name and Catholic is my surname. I mean Catholic, he says, in the sense of a universal church, not in the Catholic church, in the universal church. When we add Methodist or Presbyterian or Congregational or Baptist or Catholic on, all we do is bring divisiveness. What a wonderful statement. I've said it many times that we all play on the same team. We just wear different jerseys. I may wear the jersey of a Methodist, but I work for the same coach that the guy wearing the Baptist jersey does. Like the guy from SMU and the guy from Baylor, I guess. We work for the same God. We worship the same God. It is when we put more importance on the name on the jersey that problems arise. It's when we focus more on the Methodism or the Baptist or the Catholic or the whatever, when we start fighting and when the outside world looking in starts going, who wants to be a part of that? They can't even love each other. When their savior said, they'll know that you follow me by your love. Oh yeah. Well, let's hate on each other for a while in the media. Let's go ahead and criticize each other and say, you're going to be excommunicated from the church because you believe this and you're going to hell because you believe that. Who wants to be a part of that? We struggle for one convert. And what do we make them? What do we make them? There are so many times when we hear from the church that this is the way to do it. We become a pharisaical religious organization and we put a fence around the body of Christ and we say, this is how you worship God. Any other way is wrong. What? Is that how we want to operate? Is that what we hear Jesus going, way to go, Pharisees? Good job. Keep up with that. Tell people that they're not going to have access to me if they don't worship with an organ. Tell people that they're not going to have access to me if they don't have a drum set in their worship team. At the first service, Daryl said at the end of one of the songs, he's like, you know, we just sang two songs about shouting to God and no one shouted to God. It's okay sometimes to shout to God. And I had this little image of like a rock concert for Jesus that we just, you know, sometimes it's okay to be a rock concert. And on the flip side of it, sometimes it's okay to not. Sometimes it's okay to get naked in front of the, in front of the ark and just go nuts for Jesus. And sometimes it's okay to sit quietly and be in tears, lamenting. And sorrowful and allow the body of Christ to surround you in love. If anyone tells you this is the act, this is the way to God, walk away. This is the only way to God. If you ever hear Daryl or myself say anything about this is the only way you have access to God, please come up and slap us because we need to be slapped. 
We do not have the absolute only authority to give you access to God. It is his to give, not ours. It was his death and his resurrection that brought us freedom and life, not mine. I'm a recipient of the grace of God just like you are. I have access to this table the same way that you do. You know, today we get to celebrate communion where we come forward and we experience the grace of God, the body and blood of Christ. This moment in the church where we feel the presence of God unlike any other time. A lot of times we just let it go by us. There are some places out there that say that if you're not one of us, you can't come to our table. What? Christians is right. There are some places that say if you have, it's scriptural, you have something against your brother or sister, or you know that someone has something against you before you come to my table, God says, go get correct and then come. But let me tell you something. It is not my job to stand up here and be the communion police and say, as you come forward, whoa, uh-uh. I know you have something against somebody or somebody has something and you get back. Not no communion for you today. Oh man, I don't want that responsibility. It is not mine. Thank goodness for that. You can say hallelujah for that one too. I'm all right with that. Doesn't hurt my feelings. This is God's table. Every time we have communion in here, you will hear me say these words. This is not a Methodist table. It is not an Alamo Heights table. It is God's table. And because of that, all who care to receive the grace, the freedom, the life of God are welcome to come forward. You don't have to. I know, Alex. But you can. You can come forward because it is God's table. It is open to all. Don't fence me in. We blew the fences off of this joint last week. We blew the fences off of the kingdom of God. And we are not going to let religion put them back. We are not going to let legalism put them back. We are not going to let some goofball with a beard say, you need to have a quiet time. You need to pray. You need to come to worship. No, don't let me do that. If I do, slap me gently because I'm sensitive, but. This is the time to come forward and to experience the love of God. To open your heart to this place that is open to all who would receive it. When Jesus Christ ascended to heaven, he did it for all of us. When he took the cross, he did it for all of us. When he died, he did it for all of us. When he conquered death, he did it for all of us. There is not a single person that has ever been created by God. And everyone has been created by God. Not a single person that Jesus Christ did not die for. I do not believe in a God that plays duck, duck, goose with our salvation. I believe that God died for all and it is on us to receive. It is on us to accept. I'm going to end, you see them coming forward. I'm going to finish with um, 
kind of a, a paraphrase of something I heard a fellow pastor, Shane Hips, say recently about his church. I say his church, and he would never call it that, the church that he is the pastor of. He said recently um, uh, about the legacy and the vision and the makeup of the church, and, and I heard him say it, and I said, you know what, I think that applies to us too. I think this is a place, and I believe that this is God, how God intends it. That if you're a theological conservative, if you believe in the errant word of God, and you look at the scripture and say, it is as it is written, and you believe that when it says Jonah was swallowed by a big fish, that by golly, that happened. This is a place for you. If you come on the liberal side of theology and you see things a little differently and you believe that the word of God is from the word of God, but maybe it was written by human hands. And so there are allegories and stories in there. When Jonah was swallowed by the big fish, that that's funny. And that's a story to teach us about God. That This is a place for you. If you are a staunch Republican and you believe that God is a Republican and that uh, every salvation is going to come through Mitt or Newt or whomever, fill in the blank, and you believe that that is the right way to life, this is a place for you. If you're on the other side and you're a liberal and you think things are good as they are, in fact, they should go further and you drive a hybrid and you recycle everything and you compost so much that your house stinks. (laughs) This is a place for you. If you decided a long time ago to follow Jesus and you are all in, this is a place for you. If you haven't figured it out yet and you're just kind of here thinking that Jesus is a pretty cool dude, was a pretty cool dude, he has a lot to teach me. And I don't really understand all the aspects of death, resurrection, salvation yet. This is a place for you. We are not here to say you should be this way. We are here to say come. You're here to say you are welcome to be here. This is not our house. It is God's house. It is not our love that we share. It is the love of God. Whatever whatever worth you get from this service is not because of us. It's because of God. And so we welcome you. We welcome you in the love of Christ. As those that are helping with communion come forward, I would ask the rest of you bow your heads and pray with me. Gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for this gift of life that we are about to receive. We thank you that on the night that you were betrayed, you took the bread. You blessed God for it. You broke it and you said, take this, eat all of you. This is my body, which is given for you. After supper was over, you took the cup and you raised it to heaven. You gave thanks. You said, take this, drink all of you. This is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. And so we come to you in remembrance of this mighty act of salvation. We come to you acknowledging that through the power of the Holy Spirit, this is the body and blood of Christ. And we, as we accept it, will be holy and living sacrifices to the glory of your name in a world that desperately needs it. God, as we come forward today, help us 
to be open in our hearts and to experience this love in a new, fresh way. We thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.